thank you for the good singing. We appreciate that very much. And you can't wake up in a more beautiful spot than this, could you? This is just absolutely gorgeous. I think if uh, we were wondering what the Garden of Eden must have looked like, it might have been something uh, like this. And it certainly places us in a good frame of mind to study about our Lord and our Savior and to learn of Him when we are in such a gorgeous place. And it's a delight that uh, we can be together as a a large family, in a sense. Uh, There are 16 of us uh, daughters here uh, this week, and so that is a blessing for us from various states. We've all come together, and it's uh, fun to have a family reunion uh, here at the conference as well. I have spoken in a bathing suit and flip-flops, but I've never spoken under a beach umbrella. Uh, This is a little bit like uh, the papacy, I think, to have an uh, umbrella over you. But uh, I understand it's going to get hot, and uh, you might have to move out of the sun if you uh, start to scorch or something like that. And I won't take any offense if you just keep shuffling back and forth, depending on where the tree is and where the sun is at the time as well. I'm going to be opening up uh, the book of 1 John Uh, This week, expositing it uh, verse by verse, looking at the themes uh, that we find from it. And if you have a few moments uh, throughout the week, if you would, as homework, uh, read through the Gospel of John three times this week, I think that would greatly help you in preparation uh, for our studies. It will not take you long. Dr. Joe has told us that we could read any book of the Bible in 40 minutes. And so I'm going to time him reading through Genesis uh, later today and see how well he does. Uh, He's got 40 free hours this week. He's going to read through the whole Bible this week. And and if he can do that, you can read 1 John three times uh, this week. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It's the version that uh, I learned 1 John in. Uh, You may be carrying a, a different version, and that's legal. Uh, These are all translations of uh, the original Greek text. Uh, But I would like to read a section of verses without you looking at your scripture first, and then you can look all you want after that. Uh, But these were letters sent by an apostle to churches that they actually gathered the whole church together and read them orally to the church. The kids were in the meetings too. You remember Ephesians 6, 1, where the kids started to drift off? And suddenly, Paul says, children, obey your parents. Yeah, they were there. And so if you just, you can open your Bibles in a few minutes, but if you pause for a second, let me read this opening section to you and practice your oral skills of listening and imagine yourself, Apostle John is an old man by now. He's writing something like 90 A.D., Uh, He is a leader in the church in Ephesus, one of the four largest cities in the Roman Empire, and writing to a bunch of little churches spread out around what would be modern-day central Turkey. This is what he writes, 1 John 1.1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we've seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments... The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. But an old commandment, which you've heard from the beginning, the old commandment is the word which you've heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes that's first john chapter one and first john chapter two up to verse eleven It's the first section of John's letter in which he says, we don't understand how big a problem we have with sin. And we don't understand that our sin problem is keeping us from having fellowship with God. And so I need to help you by explaining to you who God is and what he is like Because I have fellowship with him and I know how wonderful that is. And I want you to join me in having fellowship with me. 
Have you been in the river yet? It's nice and warm. It's very enjoyable. There are people in the river yesterday saying, come on in, the water's fine. And John is saying, fellowship with God is amazing. And I'm asking you to join me in fellowship. But a lot of us have a problem. We think we have fellowship with Him, and yet nothing is happening in our lives. For example, we're not even getting along with each other. We don't even love our brothers. Shouldn't that tell us something about ourselves and the success we're having in having fellowship with God? Now, it's a good thing we're camping this week. Because that will be the laboratory for us to discern how well we can get along with one another. Camping is stressful. And if you've already been stressed out, if you've already said harsh words to each other, if you've already said, I don't know if I can do this one more night, then you right where you need to be to hear the Apostle John explain to us there are issues going on those of us who are married can you raise your hand if you're married and your spouse is with you here today okay very very good there's the best barometer in your entire life is being married and understanding fellowship with your husband and wife and understanding how easily fellowship is broken for example The tone of my voice can change just slightly and she can notice the difference. And she says, I don't like that tone. (laughs) And I said, I didn't say anything any different. She says, no, your tone changed. That's that's saying you're irritated and that you're losing your patience. And I said, no, I didn't convey that at all. She says, oh, yes, you did. (laughs) And so if you want to know Am I in fellowship, true, intimate, personal fellowship? Ask your spouse how well you're doing with each other. Are you walking together through life? Or are you just tolerating each other as much as you can possibly stand it? John is saying, you need to know how to have fellowship with God, and I am here to help you. Now, what the problem was, is inside their churches, these little churches spread around central Turkey, what would have been called Asia at that point, near Ephesus, had teachers who had believed false teaching from the heretic Serinthus. Serinthus believed that we are essentially spirit beings that are not connected to our physical entity our bodies he felt that there was such a separation from the true spirit that we are these are lies by the way that what we do in the body doesn't affect us the spirit being was so independent of the body the body functioned like a prison to hold the spirit back What that allowed them to do, and I think this is actually the sinister plot of the heresy all along, 
was that it didn't matter what I did in the body because it had no effect whatsoever in who I am as a person in my spirit. Now, you know that's not true just because you can tell if you eat something that isn't pleasant, all of you suffers, including your spirit being. You know you are very physical people. Yesterday, we had this thought, we'll take a nice, easy hike up to Vernal Falls. Okay, so we went through the mist trail, which was cool and everything. But the whole world was on the mist trail yesterday. And we thought, like, since we're carrying little children on our shoulders and the like, it's probably best not to go down the mist trail where it's wet and slippery and people are trying to bump into you all. So we got this great idea. Well, let's go down the John Muir Trail instead. We thought like, well, if we're going to do the John Muir Trail, the best place to pick that up would be to do Nevada Falls too. Nevada Falls looks close. So we did. So we, we added to Vernal, Nevada. And we're, we're carrying five of my grandchildren up the hill. And by the time we got down, we were all dead, not only physically, but spiritually as well. We were completely, totally worn out. And our bodies this morning are still talking to us, saying, if you try to do a hike today, it's got to be flat. A short, flat, easy stroll. Because we are unified human beings. We are part of our bodies. In fact, God is going to keep us physical for eternity. He's going to take these bodies and actually resurrect them and transform them into incorruptible bodies that can last in fellowship with him forever and ever. We are whole beings. But Serinthus had confused teachers in these churches to teach an error that caused people to say to themselves, sin isn't a big deal. Because I can sin and have it not affect who I am or who I fellowship with. Just ask your wife how well that's working. I'm serious. Ask her, if I mistreat you, does it make any difference? Do you still love me anyway? Are we cool with me being mean and ornery and inconsiderate? Ask her to be honest, and she'll say to you, no, I hate it when you're like that. And that should give us a huge clue to say, what if I mistreat God? Is he cool with that? And the answer is, absolutely not. So John starts out in his prologue, in the first four verses of the letter, to say, hey folks, I know what I'm talking about here. I have fellowship with God, I want you to have fellowship with God. He speaks of Jesus, the human being in the neuter, saying he is the one who has come to communicate God to us. He calls him the word of life. Among all the apostles, John is the most theological. If you read the opening prologue to his gospel, it's very similar to the opening prologue of this epistle. And in a very theological sense, he says, Jesus Christ is the word of God. Jesus Christ is God's communication to us. And if we want life, if we want relationship with God, 
it comes through Jesus Christ. So he calls him the word of life. And he says, I have fellowship with him. I want you to have fellowship with him. And so I'm writing this epistle to you so that you can know and love and relate well to God. However, he says, there are people who are lying to you and saying that Jesus isn't really who you think he is. Some of them are even saying he's not a real human being at all and doesn't have a real human body. And so John says, hey, wait a second, folks. I know wherever I speak, I was Jesus's best friend. Not only his cousin, I knew his mom and everything, but we were best friends. And I was his disciple and followed him personally for three years. And folks, he's a real human being just like us. He goes so far as to say, I've actually touched him. I've actually touched handled him the word of life i know him and you can know him too if you'll listen to me and so john develops theological concepts throughout this letter in which he says this is what god is like and this is how it relates to you and he says it so clearly that the metaphor speaks loudly to us in this opening metaphor if you noticed it he says god is light he doesn't say like god's kind of like light or he says like sort of if you wanted an illustration of how to relate to god you should sort of think of him like you think of light no there are no shades of gray in the way in which john speaks to him everything is black and white everything is crystal clear and he says without any dilution whatsoever god is light it's a metaphor folks it's not real he's a spirit being but he's not actually light he uses this as a picture of god's holiness his purity his righteousness his consistency within himself and in our case his goodness toward us but lest we think that we can relate to a holy, pure God when we mistreat Him, disobey Him, neglect our relationship with Him. He says, think of how light and darkness relate. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, not even a little bit. I've been here two nights now and walked around uh, the valley. I discovered the first day coming in in which I couldn't move my car for an hour in a parking lot on the road. I decided, like, I'm never moving my car again. So we're living over in what should be called Curry Village. I think it's now called Half Dome Village or something like that. And the rest of my family, the other 14 of them, are living right across the river over here in housekeeping. And we decided, like, hey, that's only a half mile. We're not moving the car for that. So we've been walking back and forth there. And then when we're walking over to the campgrounds, we're walking over there. And then when we go, well, let's go to Vertal Falls. We're not going to take a shuttle bus. That would take forever. So we're just going to like walk everywhere. So I walked 16 miles yesterday. Well, last night at 10 o'clock, when they make you pour water on your fire and they tell you, go to bed, we decided like, okay, we'll walk back. There are no streetlights here. Absolutely no streetlights. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It is like pitch dark. You can't see your feet. 
The funny thing about light, however, is light penetrates darkness. Light dispels darkness. There's no competition whatsoever. You can't like mix the two together and get sort of like foggy light, (laughs) darkness. No, it's absolutely separate from the two. And it suddenly occurred to me like, hey, don't we all carry cell phones? They have lights. So I turned on my cell phone light and found my way home. Pretty good. But he says, if you want to have relationship with me, you got to realize I'm in the light. And if you're walking in darkness, we're not walking together. Back in the garden, when Adam and Eve were in fellowship with God, in the cool of the evening, which I think is such a cool concept, they took walks together. Carol doesn't like to walk in the cool of the evening. She wants to walk first thing in the morning. So, you know, if I were going to go exercise, I'd like ride my bike or do something really fun. She likes to walk what I would call speed walking. And somehow she thinks it's got to be more than five miles and it's got to be done in an hour, which means I lose toenails trying to keep up with her. (laughs) She doesn't even have an ACL in her left knee, her left knee deserves to have a replacement but coming down the john muir trail last night i couldn't even keep up with her it's like she threw her hips into motion and suddenly she was like a transformer and she just like (laughs) went as fast as she could go down the hill do you remember what happened when adam and eve who normally took walks in the garden with the lord had sinned and they didn't want to walk with the lord anymore And they weren't together going through the garden and fellowship was broken. The problem for John's readers, and he's writing to churches that are a mixed group. He's writing to churches in which they've had false teaching. They have believers that are walking in the light. They have believers that are walking in darkness and tolerating sin in their lives. And then they have people who think they're saved. And that's why they're part of the church. But they've never had a relationship with God. And so he writes an irritatingly rough letter that scares the snot out of you when you read it because he's so absolute in the tests that he gives you to determine whether you're in fellowship with God. So he says wild stuff like, if you knew God, you'd love your brother. And all of us as Californians who live in shades of gray, say, well, like, what do you mean, love my brother? (laughs) Like, sort of love him? You mean, like, say hi to him at meeting? I wouldn't, like, sit next to him or anything. I wouldn't, like, eat at his house or anything, but I'll shake his hand, maybe. I'll say good morning. But, like, what do you mean, love your brother? He means, like, donate your kidney kind of love, not shake hands on Sunday morning. He's saying, no, not just donate your kidney. He's saying, like, lay down your life for your brother. We were up above Nevada Falls. And we had read about the people that had gone over the falls just in the last couple of weeks who weren't swimming. They were just like waiting. And people were in the pool within 50 feet of the top of Nevada Falls because it's hot. 
And most of us said, like, I'm not going to watch somebody go over the falls. I'm just not going to watch this. I'm going to turn my back. Well, actually, that's not what love your brother means. Like, okay, I'll close my eyes while you go over the falls. Truly loving your brother would say, hey, do you realize that's current? Do you realize, like, that's a waterfall? Do you realize what you're doing is not only prohibited, but it's actually insanely stupid? You could say it nicer than that. But truly to love your brother is to care for your brother. And so for him to say to walk in the light as he is in the light requires us to walk as Jesus walked. And if we say like, well, what does that mean? He says to be willing to lay your life down for your brother. Now, most of us aren't there yet. And I mean that seriously, because most of us would not lay down our lives for anyone else here. I would guess maybe one percent of us would donate a kidney. But we're all the way back at. Can I borrow your power tool? And it's like, I don't know. Can you take care of my power tool or not? And he says, "Okay, well, wait a second here. Can you at least share the world's goods with your brother in need? And most of us will say, like, well, think about it. Depends who he is and whether he'll actually take good care of it or not. Like, would you loan a sleeping bag out to someone here that forgot his sleeping bag? Or would you say, like, he looks kind of dirty. He's probably going to get my sleeping bag dirty. Uh, He could probably rent one someplace. You know, if you went over there, you could probably rent a sleeping bag. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about if you truly knew God, you'd have love in your heart. You'd be different. You'd be like Jesus Christ. You'd be walking as Jesus Christ walked. And so he says the most amazing things. He says, first of all, you need to get used to the concept. You've got a real problem with sin, and it's messing up your relationship with God. Most of us do not do that because Americans are quite capable of compartmentalizing their lives so that they have a portion of their lives that relates to work, a portion of their lives that relates to their family, a portion of lives that relates to their sports and their hobbies, and a portion of their life they give to the Lord. And they so compartmentalize those portions that they don't even talk to each other. So, for example, on a Saturday night, an American can easily sin against God and then Sunday morning share in the breaking of bread as a priest leading us in worship and remembrance of our Lord. And it never occurs to them that there's any discontinuity between Saturday night and Sunday morning in the way in which they're living their lives. Do you remember we were told in the scripture that if we mistreat our wives, our prayers are hindered? We'd say like, what's that got to do with my relationship with the Lord? Why can't I speak harshly to my wife and then speak to the Lord about what I want or need? He says, no, your prayers will be hindered. And we go like that makes no American sense. 
Well, don't let your culture tell you what's true. Let the Apostle John, who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who's filled with the Spirit and guided by the Spirit as he writes this letter, tell us what's true. He says, God is true. Let me tell you what is true. I'll tell you about God. I know him. I'd love for you to join me in fellowship with him. And by the water, the water really is warm. Feel, feel free to go in the water. The water's fine. Come on in the water. Don't believe anybody who tells you the water is cold. The water is warm, and we should have fun together in the water. Listen to what he says in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. If we say, and the people in these churches are saying these things, that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We lie way too much. And we won't even admit it. Because we say, oh, I have fellowship with him. Yeah, I know him. Why? And and I've talked to so many people who say like, well, I go to church. Going to church does not mean you're in fellowship with God. If you slept in a garage, would it make you a car? No. You need to know God in order to have fellowship with him. He says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, present tense, cleanses us from all sin. Now we need to have God judicially forgive us from our state of rebellion and sin against him in order to even have eternal life as a gift from him. But as saved Christian individuals, we continue to commit acts of sin because of the fact that he has left us in a state where we're susceptible to sin. That won't be solved until he takes us to be with him and we are glorified. At that point, He will perfect us for eternity and we won't sin any longer. But we are still sinning as saved individuals right now. And he says, that's a problem because that hinders our ability to have a relationship with him. But he says, on a family level, I'm willing to forgive you, present tense, continuously, if you would be willing to confess your sins. First John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to here again, present tense, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will continuously keep us in fellowship with him as we confess our sins. What if we don't confess our sins? Then we're not going to maintain fellowship with each other. Okay, let's go back to the husband and wives thing again. Let's say you spoke harshly to your wife. Does she treat you any differently? Does she act cooler to you than she was before? Is she sending signals to you that not everything is right? Do you have enough emotional intelligence to pick up that clue? Similarly, should we not pick up the clue that God is disappointed with us? When is the last time you actually asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to you 
areas of your life that you've not surrendered to him or actions that you've recently committed that you've not confessed. And you've actually had a conversation with God of ways in which you may have offended him. Just like a husband should probably go back to his wife and say, and you could ask her, would you like me to apologize for raising my voice or changing my tone or being mean to you? Would you like me to apologize? She likely would say yes. Similarly, God wants us to confess our sins before him. The word there, confess, means to agree with him, to actually admit that you did it. One of my sons, he'll remain nameless, got pulled over by the police on the way in here for not properly wearing a seatbelt. We were in a long line of cars not moving, a whole hour-long line of cars not moving. And the police were just going up and down looking for something to do. They were so hot, since the car didn't have air conditioning, they took their shirts off. So that, that was a sign right there that they were not trustworthy people. <laughs> and you could see that the, they'd pulled their seatbelts down so it wasn't chafing on their skin. And they're saying, pull over. Well, it didn't stop it that you're not wearing your seatbelt right. It was like, when was the last time you spoke marijuana? Are you drunk? Do you have a weapon in the car? I mean, it was like everything. You may have an impediment between not only your spouse or your best friend, but with God himself and not realize what that impediment is. The impediment is, if you're a believer... He wants you to agree with him regarding your sin. Now, my son didn't agree with the police officer regarding anything. He says, I am wearing my seatbelt. I do have a license. Yes, I have a registration if I could just find it. No, I'm not drunk. No, I haven't smoked marijuana. No, there's no weapon in the car. And they got off with a warning. But God wants us regularly to come before him and say, I've sinned. What I've done is wrong. I need your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? And he promises he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't be like these false teachers who say, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, the truth is not in us. Those false teachers actually said there was no sin nature at all. There was no problem with sin. Or in verse 10, regarding personal acts of sin, he says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. Not only are we lying, he, we are saying about God, well, you must be a liar then because I don't have a sin problem. And he says, oh, yes, you do. As believers, God doesn't kick us out of the family when we sin. But he expects us to understand our problem and make it right with him. As a young man, before I ever had a job, I had all summer off. Just went to school during the school year. All summer off. We lived in California, so of course we had a pool in the backyard. So I spent the entire summer in a wet bathing suit, barefoot, no shirt. And my dad, who thought I was getting old enough to, like, pull some of my own weight, said, hey, you know, the leaves from the trees are falling in the pool and they're clogging the filter. Well, I'm gone at work today and you're just playing. Would you skim the leaves out of the pool? I said, sure. 
At dinner that night, he made me put a shirt on so I could come to dinner. He announces to the entire family, we have a family of seven kids. You, he made this a federal case in front of the whole family. He says, you did not skim the leaves out of the pool. I said, I forgot. He said, I want you to go upstairs and get a quarter. I'm going to fine you for not skimming out the leaves. I said, I forgot. And he says, go get a quarter, come back, and put it on the table in front of me. Now, you may not think a quarter is worth much. These are $1967, so it was worth a lot back then. And it was the principle of the thing. He was fining me in front of all my brothers and sisters. So I went upstairs stomping. I was seething. I get a quarter. I come down and put it in front of him. I could barely eat the rest of my dinner. By the time dinner was over, I was so hot, I had to take a walk around the block to cool down. I was angry at him because he punished me. He fined me. But the point he made, I have never lost. And that's why so many years later, I can tell you this story. It's because my irresponsibility led to a problem in our relationship. I needed to learn to be responsible. And if I agree to skim the leaves out of the pool, I better skim the leaves out of the pool. And my father and I had a wonderful relationship because I learned my lesson. And that is, admit when you're wrong. Agree with God and say, I need your forgiveness. I was wrong. What I did was wrong. Will you forgive me? And we are promised he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us then to be honest regarding what the Word of God says is true. May we truly this week come to know you personally, to come to know you intimately, and to come to appreciate how much you have loved us and how worthy you are of our love in return. Father, may we not compartmentalize our lives, but may we be willing to confess our sins and receive forgiveness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.